Hello, welcome to Life's Difficult, a podcast where we discuss the many challenging aspects of modern life and how we attempt to navigate them. I'm Mikhail, and as always, I'm joined by my conversation partner, Milos. How's it going? Pretty damn good. As you can tell by my voice, I have uh, just come back from a weekend of a whole lot of screaming, yelling, and drinking. So, you know, toast to our last podcast about alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't, we didn't take on board any of the advice we gave, unfortunately. Oh, no, no, no. We, I mean, in theory, we were going to be moderate about it, but I think we also mentioned that podcast that you need to sometimes just, you know, get belligerently drunk, so... Did we? Uh, I hope I hope we mentioned maybe it under not, our breath is yeah, yeah, one I, of those things. I really hope we added that caveat because if not, we're just gonna look like a shameful. Well, but I mean, like we, we didn't have to talk about this, so in that sense, <laughs> we're leading into our hypocrisy. Yeah, but, uh, and and after after a severe night of drinking, what better to discuss than the topic of reading? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, j- j- just to let people know. We were actually going to record this right after our um, alcohol podcast, but it almost felt like so incongruent that we just held yeah. off. Um, the vibe was wrong. We needed to let a couple days pass, but those days happened to be days of very heavy drinking. So yeah, so like, in some ways the vibe is <laughs> it's just it's as continued. bad. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's too late. Now we just got to take the plunge. So uh, yeah, the difficulty with reading. Um, you know, I mean, why, why don't we just start? I, I would like to start with this. Okay. Do you have a favorite book? Um, fiction. Let's start with fiction, because nonfiction is like a whole other thing. So I, I wouldn't even have an answer for nonfiction. I barely touched nonfiction. Okay. Um, but what's fiction? Uh, there's no one answer because I could give what meant to me, what book m- meant most to me at a particular point in my life. Mm-hmm. Right then, then I could probably just say Harry Potter because at that time, at that age, it's just like, oh my god, every single Harry Potter book was um, life changing and such. Like, a... like thirteen percent of our audience just turned off this podcast. Harry fucking Potter, <laughs> and I'm kidding. <laughs> and, um... I understand though, when you're a kid, that's that's the real deal. That was amazing when you were like, I remember reading it at like eleven or twelve and thinking, oh my god, this is the best book ever. I'm pretty sure um, without Harry Potter my level of reading wouldn't have been progressed as far as I did early on. Like, Ooh, that, that's that, interesting. That's, that's how, because it started with um, my parents reading it to me and my aunt mm. reading it to me because I couldn't read it myself properly. Oh, okay. And then eventually I could read it myself. How old were you when you read the first or when they were, I guess they read to you before you were literate? Pretty much, or at least like I was not literate to the level of, of a Harry Potter book. It was much more like basic. So, okay. Yeah, I was I was pretty young, but I would I'll, I'll also say that um, I was a little bit slow with reading. It took me a little bit of time to catch up with mm. everybody else. I think okay. I it wasn't for a long time, but I think for like a couple of years, I think my reading development lagged a little bit behind. And mm-hmm. then then things like Harry Potter made me sh- you know shoot back up and and probably that's be... really interesting. I'm surprised because you are definitely one of the best read people that I know. So to hear that. That you had like a bad start. I assume you would have been like me. Like when I was a kid, mm-hmm. my dad insisted on teaching me to read even before I went to school almost. Mm-hmm. So for my first like first couple of grades, I was deemed a genius because I could read so much. And it's like, no, my dad just sat and forced me to read and, and it turned out good. But ironically, I kind of had the same, I, uh, the same, I don't know if it was Harry Potter. I don't think it was Harry, but there was another book that I read when I was like, oh, 
for me it was it was uh, Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game. Okay. I read that as a I think in my like early teens, and up until my early teens, uh, reading was actually a punishment in my house. <laughs> I would get in trouble, and my parents would be like, "You have to read," and I'd be like, "I just want to watch TV," and so they'd force me to read, and I used to hate reading, and I never want to read any books, and then one time. My parents grounded me for a summer because I, I think it was in grade eight. I got like, in English, we would get three grades, three percentages. Mm-hmm. And one of my percentages was 27. I got a 27 and I think it was like spelling and reading comprehension, which okay. was complete bullshit. Because the reason why I got 27% is because I handed in like six of like 85 homework assignments <laughs> over the year. And I didn't give a shit. And the ones that I handed in, I probably got 100 on. But, uh, but yes, for that reason, I got 29%. So the summer of grade eight, I was grounded. And not only did I have to like, I ba- my parents basically put me in like their own version of summer school where I had to read books and write essays. Mm-hmm. And it was the, it was such a funny time period because, so when you get a 29% on your report card, you, I, I, I don't know, in, in a Serbian household, in an immigrant household, you can't just tell your parents yeah, I just didn't want to do the work, so I didn't do it. Like, that would, that would get you a savage beating. Yeah. So to bring the beating down from the level of savage to they're very angry, but then they're also kind of like, feel a little bit of, of sadness for you. Yeah. You have to play the victim. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, I'm just not that good at writing and reading. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, that sets the trap. So then, okay, yeah, the beating was less savage, but now I'm grounded for like eight weeks in a friggin' like nine-week-long summer vacation and I have to both read and write essays. And I still remember they'd like, because I guess their English wasn't the greatest at that point. Like they weren't at, like my mom's English is still not that great. But my dad, my dad can speak really well English, really English really well. But I don't think that he, had, he understands like the, the writing and the literature aspect as much as somebody who was native born because he learned that in school and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's not really like, he's using technical English in his work, but not really, he's not writing essays or prose or anything like that. So yeah. he kind of knew that he doesn't have the, 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 the eye or ear for it so they made my brother read all my essays and so I would legit put into my essays all kinds of sarcastic bullshit and I was Mm. like they were they were really good they were I was definitely writing well above a grade 8 level and my brother kind of knew it and so he was kind of confused and so he would like nitpick (laughs) and he would like nitpick at things and be like oh it's this and then my parents would like he would nitpick for the smallest things that he could find to be like oh this isn't great right but then my parents would be like why did you do that? Why? This is why you failed. And it's just like, it was, it was, just, it was like, just a failure of understanding on every level. Oh, it was like, a circus. I was playing a role. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So anyway, so at that point, one of the books that I was grounded with was Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game. Yeah. And all oh my, cause my dad made me read books that he had read so that he could quiz me on them to see if I was actually reading them. Right. And that was the one where I was like, all right, this is, uh, yep. I'm, I want to read way more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was that was. So I, I I think yeah, Harry Potter definitely helped too. Like that was a good one. I don't think I was around, I was allowed to read that one when I was grounded. They knew it was good. <laughs> so, I I guess mine was a little bit more. Um, my reading journey was a bit more self-directed, um, mm. because, well, one just because things like Harry Potter and Narnia were being read to. So yeah, it was really like a fantasy beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think that stayed for a very long time, mm-hmm. as we'll go on to discuss. But, um, yeah, it, it, it just, because then I also had a deficit, but I loved these stories and wanted to consume more of them. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to obviously overcome that deficit so I could read those stories. 
So I, I really think there is an important um, step in a lot of people's like reading journeys is is just being read too early on because it it makes them fall in love with stories. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happened to me. And so I, by the time I was like in my early teens, I'd read a lot of fantasy. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure by 13, 14, I was reading something like Game of Thrones. Um, oh, damn. Um, and, you know, I'd made my way through Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, all the Harry Potter books, all the Narnia books. Like, so I'd kind of the foundational fantasy series and then I was kind of moving on from there. Mm -hmm. Around that time, there was also like the Aragon books and I think it's called the Inheritance yeah. Cycle. I actually never With ended the up... The dragon or whatever? Yeah. It was crazy because um, I loved those books so much at the time but I never, actually never finished them because it's one of those things where there were this amazing amalgam of tropes from, you know, all the properties that, you know, like it, it, it's it's felt like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and all these kind of like traditional hero's journey type of like uh, fantasies or science mm -hmm. fantasy with Star Wars in those case of Star Wait, Wars. Wait, did it science, science fiction in it actually or no? No, I, I just mean in terms of the, the tropes of like, oh, look, turns out this guy is his father and this guy's his brother oh, and everybody's... Okay, okay. everybody's it's, it's just the typical tropes of like... Uh, secret familial connections that make you more special and like mm -hmm. chosen one things and um again like at, at this age you'd pick it apart right but at yeah. that age when it was all new so it didn't matter that he was every twist was a new twist yeah it really felt monumental reading the first two aragon and eldest i think i read the third one i think that's Brisinger, and then it was only meant to be a trilogy and he then decided to make it a quartet and i i it was too late at that point. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't go back to it. Anyway, the point being is really inundated my, myself with a lot of fantasy. And I think that's what really helped me shoot up my reading level. And, and it was very self-directed because, you know, in, in, in school, it was literature that we were being taught. I never read that. Mm -hmm. right? So I, I didn't get a, any interest in literature until very recently if anything because it was always like okay no where's the next next big epic right so i can mm -hmm. keep going then i read all the wheel of time books that's a 14 book series i read uh, so how big those are those are huge too those are huge books and um that's an interesting one because the author died i think on the 12th book and then brandon sanderson um came in and finished the series then i read the malazan books which are even bigger books and it's a 10-book series. Mm -hmm. And um, this is a world I want to return to at some point. But it's because it's like... Got, got, this is just... I'm just saying this because I just think this is insane. So this author created this world with a co-creator. So this author wrote the, the kind of main 10 books that everybody kind of in, in the fantasy world would have maybe heard about. Mm -hmm. Then there, his co-creator created or wrote another six kind of books alongside because there's a lot of continent hopping. So he's, whenever like they move location stuff, the the his co-creator would uh, jump in and maybe stay on that continent or or go somewhere else. But like so, so they can fully explore the world. Then the original guy who wrote those wrote those ten has written two enormous prequel books that take place like hundreds of thousands of years in the past. Then he's also written now the first of another trilogy that takes place after this main series. And then his co-creator has now written, a, I think, a trilogy of books 
that are also a more recent prequel. Jesus. And then there are a bunch of novellas and mm -hmm. short stories. It's, it's just like, it's, it's the biggest world. So I've actually just read 10 and then two of the side novels. So I'm yeah. really impressed with that. I feel like the only other... The only book series that I can think that have like that level of commitment are usually the ones that are attached to to another property. Like you think so of like all the, the Star Wars, yeah, yeah, the Star Wars. I'm also thinking of like even um, like sticking with the fantasy genre. I'm thinking of a lot of uh, video game properties that have been given like crazy amounts of novels. Like I'm sure Warcraft has a hundred of them. Mm. You, you never played Dungeons and Dragons, did you, as a kid? No, not really. So I, my brother was super into Dungeons and Dragons, so I learned a lot about it. And we played a lot of classical RPG games on on the on the computer. So um, Forgotten Realms is like that's like a setting, that's like one world yeah. for Dungeons and Dragons. And I know that they have tons of novels about like a couple of like the main legendary characters. Like um, this is one guy called Drizzt Dord, and he's like yeah, there are a million Drizzt novels. Yeah, yeah. So he was in, and I played. I've never read a book of his, but I played a video game where I got to like kill him. <laughs> and I, I, I made a point of it every time I saw him in that video game. It was like, it's like he's, you're, you're supposed to have him help you. And I'm just like, you're like some hipster fool. You will die. And like, I would have to cheat. I'd have to cheat to get the weapon so that I could kill him because he was actually very high level. And any, anyway, that's a random off shot. But yeah, screw you. You're in books and stuff. No, you die. You die. We're not making friends. Um, anyway. You're overexposed. 100%. Did not like that. So um, I guess... Back to the favorite book thing. So I guess you start off with Harry Potter. What's oh like yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. Sorry, I think I I'm the original derailer of this conversation. That's no, okay. That was, so that was a good, uh... okay, so yeah, let me think about this. I'd say yeah, maybe the fourth Harry Potter book. I guess would be really? my my original answer. Okay. Then somewhere along the way, I would probably say, um, and again, this is not like some strict ranking. I'm just saying like mm -hmm. different points. These yeah. books are very important. Maybe I'd throw Eldest in there, but I feel like that mm -hmm. kind of still falls under the shadow of Harry Potter era reading. Mm -hmm. So anyway, honorable mention to Eldest. Then when I kind of progressed up where I'm still reading fantasy, but now it's like really adult, like serious kind of fantasy with the Game of Thrones type of reading. Mm -hmm. I'd say A Storm of Swords, which is the third A Song of Ice and Fire book. Oh, I hate that one. Um, that was the one that made me stop. I got I got all the way to the red wedding, and I I was literally That's like was, halfway through the book. Though. I know I was reading the book, and the red wedding happened, and I kid you not, I f chucked the book at the ceiling. <laughs> it hit the ceiling. It hit the floor. Yeah. Then I stepped on it, kicked it under my 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 bed, and never read it again. I'm noticing a trend of you just feeling a great deal of rage for <laughs> fantasy worlds and fantasy characters. I'm telling you, they've they've hurt me too much. <laughs> One day there's gonna be a Game of Thrones like video game, and instead of buying it, I'm gonna like I'm gonna purchase a hard copy and just break the CD. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, but like seriously speaking, um, it was honestly I and just to say, I thought I didn't love A Storm of Swords as far as I got into it, but I thought A Clash of Kings was fantastic. Mm -hmm. That was the second one. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, the um, yeah it's, whatever it's the, the second, second one was, yeah. that, I thought it was amazing. I, I think um, it's it's not like uh, I can't understand why somebody would be frustrated with the with, with the uh, a song of ice and fire which mm -hmm. inspired a Game of Thrones TV series just for everybody knows because I'm kind of jumping back and yeah. forth. Um, if they don't know the real name, too bad. <laughs> yeah, this is a reading pod after all. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, we need to be a little bit snobby. <laughs> 
snobby with our fantasy, but um, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, just not even literature. We're, the, we're like we're like the lowest level we're, of we're, snobbery. You know what? We're 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 gatekeeping nerds, which yeah. is which is like honestly the worst type of people. Don't oh, be a gatekeeper, <laughs> unless it makes you feel good. Then uh, you go forth. But um, then why not? But yeah. Any, anyway, so I get it. Th- those those books are incredibly long, especially the third, and they can they can get bogged down in in descriptions and 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 like getting too intricate with family trees and stuff which i do actually think has value down the line when it Mm. all comes together but when you're in the in the mud with it so to speak it can be frustrating you know i i've I've told you this before but i think it bears repeating this is my my biggest gripe with george r R. martin is not even okay obviously he's killing off way too many characters and it upset me because i get attached and then i don't like you killing my friends yeah um but the other thing that really bugged me about his book was he was not a good action writer he wouldn't write the action pieces so sometimes he would just not do just not do it and it would infuriate me i remember there's this one example and this is gonna be total spoilers if you haven't watched the show or whatever um at one point Arya's in heron hall She's in a terrible position. It's, it's yeah. When 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 she's with Roose Bol- B- Bolton. I think so. I in don't the remember. TV series, she's with uh, uh, main Lannister. Oh, I'm blanking. Uh, uh, Jamie or whatever. No, no, no. no the, the father figure. Uh, Tyrion. No. Uh, Tywin. Tywin. Yeah, Tywin. Yeah, exactly. So so this might yeah. actually even be before then. There was there was a point where she's it, no one knows that she's Arya. She's in Heron Hall, and then Heron Hall is getting besieged. I think this is when. Bolton takes it or something, or maybe not, I don't know. But there's a whole thing where it's like, you know that Heron Hall is about to get attacked, it's about to get sieged, it's about to get like messed up, and you know Arya's in there. And then in the books, it's like you get, it's like you, he basically takes you all the way to like just before orgasm, where like the army's about to march in, and then you cut, and you're like, oh my god, I can't wait for Arya's next chapter, I cannot wait for Arya's next chapter. And then Arya's next chapter is something completely different because two chapters later, Varys yeah. says, Heron Hall has fallen, and it's like that's so, it. I don't. I, I don't hate that. I don't think Heron Hall has ever besieged in any of the books. Maybe okay. Maybe but, I have it wrong. Maybe it's another castle. But, but one point she's in a castle. There's some bad shit about to happen, and then you hear that bad shit happened, and then after that she's like escaped, or she like basically yeah. Specific aside, you're you're absolutely yeah, the, right. The, the action would just be avoided, and I hated that so much. So he he often will. Uh, dance around battles right yeah um i don't think it's even necessarily that he's some terrible action writer it's just i mean, I mean, I mean weird that i way. think that's what somebody once told me and it just stuck because he, he avoids it sometimes i mean don't get me wrong i think the what is it the battle of blackwater or whatever mm-hmm. i was sick i love that no and and also like for example in season one of the t- uh, of the tv series um Tyrion just gets knocked out mm-hmm and that that's 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 all the show in yeah. when he's heading out into battle, and in the book, no, he, Tyrion fights. Yeah, he, he fights. Does, with, yeah, I think yeah, with an axe or something, and, and yeah, he, he does, does pretty well. good. So you know, it's it's small man, get, big horse, big person. <laughs> yeah, sure, uh, it, but you know, so there's a bit of give and take there. The other uh, thing that I can, f- I imagine, some people would find pretty vexing, and I think is just a cheap writing technique, mm-hmm. is fake out deaths. Oh, I didn't. Does, I, I didn't get to the part where the big guy. It was just. I didn't the get far enough. Got, yeah. yeah, I only had people die. I didn't get all the way in where like, yeah, because I heard that was a big problem with it. Where like he'd bring everybody back to life. No, it's not even. So back to life is a separate matter. 
right? Oh, is it times when, like, what, Jon Snow gets stabbed but he doesn't die or something? Is that one of the ones? No, no, so it'll be something like, uh, the blow came down upon her head, and then then the chapter ends, and the next chapter is like, oh. She's had a really bad concussion. (laughs) No, or, 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 like, the way he describes it is as if a death death blow is being dealt. Yeah. But in the next chapter, he'll, like, recontextualize it. It's like, oh, no, he was just knocking her down or something. And it's just like, that's <laughs> so cheap and unnecessary. So... I don't remember that happening, but I could solely see it. Because, yeah, the, the back-to-life stuff is interesting because it feels like it has a cost to it. Uh-huh. Again, in the show, it's, again... Uh, the show did everything wrong, but, but both season four. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, John does come back and it's... He just seems to be all right, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I imagine if he got, when he, if and when I think most people think it's when uh, he comes back in the books, mm-hmm. um, something will be a bit wrong with him. Like there'll be a cost to be paid for coming back. It's mm-hmm. not just normal. So that's a bit more interesting, um, and that's still like part of the world and that that you're building. Yeah, it's so much worse when you're like, and then he jumped, and you're like, what? He jumped from a you know. Uh, some fortress straight up into the sky and back down on his feet that you'll find out next chapter yeah yeah so stuff like that <laughs> anyway so um, uh, that's way more that game of thrones than, than i want to talk yeah, about no, frankly i don't i'm actually not a big fan of that too. <laughs> as you can tell i have nothing but qualms with it but, i mean uh, I, I i love it but the tv show had a awful back half and oof. now the books are just never coming out that so. last season hurts it hurts so deep for me by the last season it was kind of it felt kind of like vindication because i for years i'd be saying this can't end well they're messing everything up and everybody was still loving it and i was like all right here you go <laughs> this is what you get but true that's um, fair okay so so far it's fourth harry potter honorable mention eldest third game of thrones book called stroma swords mm-hmm. um third miles on book of the fallen as well I'll just give a, I'll actually give like a quick reason because otherwise I'm just like naming books and it's not really illustrating anything. Yeah. Um, so with Harry Potter, it's the world in the sense of wonder and magic, especially being in the castle and all the little nooks and crannies in it and secret corridors and magic and make chocolate frogs come to life. You know, all this stuff. Oh, that's It's the book- wonder. It's the yeah. wonder and awe and the feeling of like being part of something with your friends, right? That book is child crack. Yes. Like, That's you a have, yeah, like, perfect like, way of putting you know, it. You have, you have, you know, there are books that are chick crack because they're like everything a woman would want. They have like all the romance and the the whatever. And then people say that sports are like, you know, men crack where it's like men can just watch sports and there's everything that they need encapsulated in that. Yeah. I feel like the Harry Potter, that's, that's children crack. Crack for kids. 100%. And then with something like... Um, Game of Thrones, really more the first book, but I think the third book is like the apotheosis of this. Is really like the highest way you you you, you can see this done. Is is changing my conception of how narratives can unfold because I was just so, like I was saying before, built into the hero's journey, meaning the heroes can't actually die or they're yeah. under no real threat and they're going to succeed. And then suddenly it was and like, you know who the hero is, unlike Game of Thrones, where you're like, okay, who the Fuck's gonna survive, man. <laughs> Tell me who I gotta root for. I'm so upset. Sorry, I get I get angry when I think about it. It's <laughs> <laughs> so weird. What the hell? It makes me upset. Doesn't it make you upset when you don't know who to root for and you're just like No, I'd I never wanna be like hand fed 
what to think about something. I don't something. want to be hand-fed, but give me a couple clues of like who you're gonna kill <laughs> before you kill him. Dude, I, I'm, I, I'm like, I knew that Ned Stark was gonna die in the first book, mm-hmm. but halfway through reading it, I was convinced that people had just lied to me. Cause I hadn't watched the show. I'm just like, yeah. no, they're lying. There's no way you're gonna. He's like the best character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that, that's also why it was baffling for me, because this is all years pre-show. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so you got to read it fresh. So, that must have been much more okay, You know what was actually cool? I, this is a little bit whimsical in my head, even though it's not really a big deal. Mm-hmm. I picked it up from a library. <laughs> and, and uh, Library? But, but yeah, it was, it was uh, back when I lived in Egypt, and my mom would sometimes go to this... I don't know if she helped out there or something, but anyway, when I had an opportunity to go join her there mm-hmm. to just like peruse some books, I would go. And so I was looking for my next, you know, fantasy kick, basically. Mm-hmm. I just needed to keep filling that void. Every time I finished a series, I'd have this empty spot in myself and I'd be like, <laughs> what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And you never just turn to drugs like a normal person? Yeah, you know, I'm sure I'll get there in time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still filling it with other things right now, mostly food. Um... <laughs> But but yeah, so that was the cool part. I just, you know, read the back cover and heard like, oh, ice zombies and tire wolves and, mm-hmm. and I just picked it up. So I had no idea what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. And suddenly like the maturity level jumped like so far, you know, because it goes from, you know, maybe they're like love interests and they like have a kiss and maybe there's some deaths, but it's generally the mentor figure who kind of has to die, is yeah. part of the sacrifice. Um, whereas then this goes to just like, abuse and sex and incest and infanticide in like chapter two and and then yeah and then goes to (laughs) beheading and uh, so that was an important step because it reconcept it it, it made me reimagine what's what the possibilities Mm. of a hero's journey narrative or what what seemed like could be hero's journey narrative would with Mm -hmm. you know ned stark actually can be just real quick one thing that's remind me of and it's, it's a comment that doesn't go on the fantasy tip, so we can talk about another type of literature. One of the things that really bothered me about the Games of Thrones series was the lack of continuity of characters. I love seeing, and I know it's kind of Hero's Journey, but even if it's not Hero's Journey, I just like spending lots and lots of time with the same people. Yeah. Because sometimes characters get introduced, and I just don't care for them, or I don't like them. And this makes mm. me think of, uh, I don't know if you've read any Gabriel Garcia Marquez? No, not yet. I want to. So he was recommended to me as like this amazing writer. And I'm so sad because instead of picking up Love in the Time of Cholera, which I watched the movie and I'm so upset that I watched the movie before reading the book because the movie was fantastic. Yeah. And I've forgotten just enough where I'm going to read a Love in the Time of Cholera because it, it just, it sounds so amazing and so whimsical and so fucking hilarious. But instead I picked up A Hundred Years of Solitude. Oh, and, and it keeps jumping generation, right? Because the generations keep dying. So you go into the next one. It's like, and I feel like it's the same thing with Game of Thrones. I really, really bonded with that first group of people. I love Ned Stark. Even in the first book, Ned Stark and, and the king that dies. Uh, what's his face? The Baratheon Robert guy. Robert Baratheon. Yeah. Oh my God. I love these characters. They were like so great and flawed. And like, it's like, just let their flaws play out over a couple of books before you kill them. <laughs> Don't kill them right away. I love this guy. He's like a... like, And, and I, the other thing too, sorry, this is, this is another tangent real quick, but the guy who plays Robert Baratheon on the show... Yeah. I only ever remember as playing a comedic, uh, he plays like a comedic yeah, yeah, father yeah. on yes. some sitcom. Yeah. And so to see him go from such a goofy role to like this dark, but also almost like tragically funny role 
Yeah. It was such perfect casting. Like, ah, that first part was so Yeah, well because done. Book Robert is an enormous man, right? Like, yeah. much bigger than the guy in the TV show. Mm-hmm. Even though the guy in the TV show did a brilliant job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Book Robert is like 6'5", enormous person now. Mm-hmm. And who's who's fallen or he, he, he's he's now a shadow of himself because he allowed himself to get fat and yeah. he's a drunkard and all this stuff. But like prime Robert is meant to be like this force of nature like in Arnold the books. Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of thing. Huge prime. muscle car- carrying a, I think, what? what Like a I, double-handed sort of one hand or something? No, no, not a sword because he, he bashes Rhaegar's head. So I think it's like, oh, a hammer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a Baratheon <laughs> hammer. So it's just so metal right like but um but they casted that perfectly because even though he's not a giant he has that vibe of like even even i think even in the sitcom he kind of played like a father figure who would like party too much and slack too much and like got Mm. to this place where he like he was supposed to be better and it's like so perfect for the robert baratheon story because it's like you had all this potential and i'll look at you you're like a womanizer and you you know or well well the, uh, the the tragic thing i think or one of many tragedies is that he was he was a great like leader in war he inspired people mm-hmm. he was he was a great wartime like you know yeah. I, I recently watched uh darkest hour which is a, a movie about winston churchill mm-hmm. and clearly he was a very very gifted wartime leader mm-hmm. but outside of wartime <laughs> he didn't really have a place <laughs> At least from what I understand, and again, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm not going to pretend to have some deep understanding. It's just mm-hmm. what, what, what I always get is that he was very, you know, what would be called hawkish now. Yeah. But it worked then, right? Yeah. Like, because he, he was seeing the realities of war where other people yeah. were being a bit too timid and wanting to negotiate with fascists, right? Yeah. But um, that mindset doesn't go. So then it's like, he wants to invade Russia next kind of thing. <laughs> and, and, and so I think... And again, and this is like we can say why fantasy can be so incredible, right? I, I know in some ways it's seen as a lesser form, a literary form. Mm-hmm. But I think in many ways it is catching up. Uh, modern fantasy is doing very interesting things. And, uh, you know, moving away from just tri- the traditional kind of tropes I was talking about and, and, and uh, the plot unveiling in the same way with, mm-hmm. you know, mentor figures and leaving the farm kind of thing. Yeah. But... It can really illustrate important points uh, about, you know, our reality and, and make it even better because it's not more to our reality. So they can, you can be even like, you can make it even more tragic than you could mm-hmm. with something that feels a bit, that's more grounded because by being grounded in some ways you're chained to reality, right? Which mm-hmm. again, that has its upsides, right? But um, it also has its limitations. Um, okay, so... Yeah, then if we go to the Malzan series, mm-hmm. I would say that was another point of reimagining, but it was a more reimagining in terms of structure and size and scope and scale, like everything mm-hmm. to do with the world. I didn't realize that some insane person would think to write a series this way. Mm-hmm. So I'll just, I guess, light spoilers. I'm not actually telling you anything that happens, but I'm just talking about structure he drops you into the world. There's like zero, there's zero like insert character who is ignorant about the world and that's the world is explained to him as he travels it. It's mm-hmm. just drop right into the middle of this world 
which has zero familiarity. There aren't elves and dwarves and like, no, all new made up races, all new made up worlds within worlds, within magic systems, within like everything that can be new and -hmm. complicated is in there. And you're told nothing about it. You're just dropped in and you're drowning for like several hundred pages and then you kind of have a sense of things. You have an epic finale and that's the first book. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, okay, thank God, I finally have a sense of things. I have some sense of the characters in the world. And even though it's very frustrating, I've come to the end and the end was epic. He's great at finales, Steven Mm -hmm. Erickson, the name of the author. And then the second book, he just throws you into another continent with like two of the same characters and like 20 new ones. Right, so this is your, this is your wor- if you thought like Game of Thrones is bad, this is like your worst, this is your seventh hell. Well, wait, wait, you and got two people sticking around and you know they're the good guys. I can get behind that, I just Dude, they're to- no good guys. The, the main characters are imperialists, like so, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting because they are- What is wrong with wanting to start an empire that spans the whole globe, Mikhail? Those have always been the most jolly and good people in world history. <laughs> well, but, but like actually- uh, that's again what makes these books interesting because it's not like they're bad guys either Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it will point out obviously the the evils of empire but it'll Mm -hmm. also point out that like the people that make up the empire are often you know heroes or heroic in their actions even if they're doing it the larger cause is Mm -hmm. you know flawed um and then third book jumps moves location again with many of the original characters Fourth book for the first several hundred pages takes place in some remote place where you have no idea what's going on. Opens up back to second book kind of characters. Mm-hmm. Fifth book, whole new continent once again, 100% fresh characters once more in the fifth book. <laughs> sixth book goes back and then like finally they start to come together like post sixth book you can be like, okay, I have a sense of things. It's mm-hmm. book six and these are all enormous, complicated, philosophical challenging books mm-hmm. so it was it's like again you you really have to be into fantasy you really want want you you really want to challenge yourself in the fantasy genre if you start mm-hmm. the series but if you do it's just the most incredible rewarding series right where you're just thrown across continents and worlds and magic systems and you keep adapting and you keep learning new things and you keep it does obviously the narrative is still really powerful because it's keeping you going through all this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say the third book of that series, but you can pick out several books in that series where I'm like, okay, this is just that was epic. P- this is as this is as fantasy as fantasy can be. Mm-hmm. There's no going back, right? Like you, you, you just, you've topped out. Nothing is going to get more fantasy than, than than this. Basically, it is the highest of high fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I'd say there's probably a fairly big gap because now that I would say, not no more fantasy books to name. <laughs> What's your favorite uh, non-fantasy book? Uh, East of Eden by uh, Steinbeck. Which one? What, what, what's like the run? What's the synopsis? Don't don't give away like the actual story. But like, what what's, what would the back cover say? What's he that dies with it. No. <laughs> uh, so. So this is a, a you know uh, Steinbeck is the same author who did uh, of Mice and Men and mm-hmm. Grapes of Wrath. Um, which are better, better known, um, novels and I think of Mice and Men is technically maybe a novella. Anyway, uh, but East of Eden is his real epic of, of following a family, following kind of, um, I think at least a couple of generations as well. Mm-hmm. 
but there's much more of a through line. It's, it's, a, little, it's a little less uh, frustrating than I think what you might have experienced with uh, 100 Years of Solitude. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, just, it, it just in, for me just encapsulated existence more than any other book. When, when is it set? It's set in like back in the day, right? Uh, probably turn of the century. Like nineteen hundred uh, something, California, and because yeah, it probably starts um, in the eighteen nineties, late eighteen hundreds, um, and then goes until post World War One. Probably mm -hmm. again, I don't exactly remember the dates, but you know that that that, that time of great change, mm -hmm. right? Of of <clears throat> great industry rising and a yeah. lot of like opportunity and a lot of success and but a lot of um you know kind of fool's gold approaches to ma ma making making your uh, wealth and you know it's it's obviously given the name you, you can tell that it's it, it it lines up with a lot of biblical stories, right? Like Cain and Abel is a big part. A lot of it mm -hmm. A lot of the stories about brothers and okay. people's natures, like right, mm -hmm. is is one brother just all is kind of destined to be evil, and was one brother destined yes, to be it's pure? Yes, always the older one. I agree with you. The younger yeah. ones are always the pure ones. Yep, yep, hundred <laughs> um, percent. I can tell you firsthand that this is true. Um, I also have anecdotal evidence to this. <laughs> it, it's just it's very. In some ways, it's it's a little bit basic mm -hmm. but in other ways it but it comes together where it feels so profound by the end of this is just a human condition explored from start to finish mm -hmm. right like well what is a good life what is it to be a good person what, what you know um the best character in all of it is an asian american character who just goes by mr lee mm -hmm. and, and initially like he's talking you know pigeon english and he's like leaning into what people imagine like a Chinese stereotype to be back then. Mm -hmm. And then he reveals like, I don't actually talk that way. And he's really like actually a really articulate, well-read person. And he's like, I talked like that because that's what people expect from me. Ooh. And he's just the most magnificent character. And he just, it, it's really like if, if out of all the books I've, I've mentioned so mm -hmm. far, um, by far, I would recommend that the most to you. Interesting. It, I it, it, that one up. I, also, because you're, uh, you know, a little bit more, not religious, but, you know, spiritual and stuff than I am, I think it might even hit even harder for you. It mm. really, like, it, it, it's one of those books that I just felt changed after. It just hit me and it stuck with me. And okay, there's nothing individually, like, that I can point out the way I could with these fancy books of, like, oh, that's just so spectacular what happened or it's so unexpected. It's, mm -hmm. it's nothing that's crazy or unexpected. It just goes and it just explores humanity. The, it explores like what seems to be true evil. It seems to explore innocence. Mm -hmm. explores fatherhood and neglect and Does what, it have what any war. Steamy sex scenes. Not like yeah, exactly. You know, I, I can I can refer you back to Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it's just it it really. It just it just stuck with me. It just it just mm -hmm. hit me, and it's stayed hit. And it's been okay. a while since I read it now, or you know, mostly listened to it. But I, I, I'm uh, this is gonna be another thing we talk about, which is yeah, audiobooks. Audiobooks, books. but um, 
yeah, just uh, one of those special, special sort of books. Interesting. And, you know, I think the Steinbeck felt the same way because he said, um, I'm pretty sure if he, it was the book that mattered to him the most as well. Like mm-hmm. it is, that, that this was his most complete novel. Like he probably viewed his it. opus magnum. Yeah. Magnum opus. Magnum opus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sounded uh, kind of the same. <laughs> and then I'd also just throw in, now this, this is much more quick just to kind of round out. Cause I think, yeah, in recent, recent, recent years move away from fancy, still consume it, still mm-hmm. other fancy to recommend for sure. But, uh, literature has been much more my interest. Mm-hmm. And so Hemingway, who has got maybe a slight reputation, I think in recent years for being like a bit of more of like a broy author, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think that's just so ridiculous. He's, he's incredible. How do you get a reputation as being broy when you're from like, I don't know how long, but he didn't, he, I don't know. What was no, the... but his whole thing was like, you know, to be a man's man and explore the world. And he was big into pugilism and he was big into... Big into what? Pugilism? Boxing. Yeah, and, ah, okay. and, 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 you know, like he, he had that thing of like, you know, explore the world, lose a kidney kind of thing and then write, mm-hmm. you know, so... And, you know, his, his prose are very... Um, very very clean like he doesn't use flowery language at all it's just like he puts it all there right as it is Mm -hmm. and then you take the story for what it is and 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 see what you get from it and it's just there's something amazing about being able to to do that most writers can't help themselves they Mm -hmm. have to add a little they have to make their prose a little bit purple because they want to like show off a bit or Mm -hmm. oh i just love that sentence i need to have it there even though it's a bit over the top yeah whereas he was able to be so parsimonious with his language and get across exactly what he needed to get across. And um, I would say The Sun Also Rises is one of the most um, powerful books that kind of creeps up on you. Um, Really, really, uh, I don't know if it's exactly a favorite, but it's right up there. Um, Stephen King is somebody I had never really bothered with. And I, I know this is no longer lit- literary, but he deserves like many mentions. He's just mm-hmm. terrific. And um, I think gets overlooked because he's seen that as a genre author, but he's he's terrific. And Yeah, I found that he's written a lot of books that turn into movies that had nothing to do with horror. Yeah, exactly. Look- very surprising to me because I'm like, I thought he's just, you know... I was thinking of that family guy gag when they're like, uh, he's like, all right, Steve, what do you got for me? He's like, it's a lamp. And it comes to life and it's a monster. <laughs> and the agents look at him. He's like, you don't even care anymore. All right, what can I have it? <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, I'd say It is probably mm-hmm. my favorite of his books. But um, Pet Cemetery is also up there. And The Shining um, is also right Pet up Cemetery there. I thought Pet Cemetery was meh. I read it as, a, as like a young, I don't know, I think it was like, 14, 15, maybe I wanted to dabble with the horror genre so yeah. it actually scared me. And I, you know what is funny is I don't think that you can, in, I don't think that at that age you can really in, like get the the scary part of horror. No. no, no it's, real it's, horror is all about like scary stuff happening from a real life perspective. Whereas like I was expecting like, I, I was like expecting like, oh yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of stuff. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I think Stephen King does have more, you know, 
creature feature-ish horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess even it kind of falls under that. So that's something that could have really scared you at that age. The amazing thing about Salem's Lot is that it's that universal horror that you're going to face in adulthood, mm-hmm. right? Of something happened to a child or a family member or just you the horror of... Uh, uh, yes, exactly. What did I say? Salem's Lot? Oh, Salem's Lot is the is his vampire story. That's why <clears> I, okay. I came to mind. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, Pet Cemetery is the, the horror of all of us deteriorating because we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. But but also then the premature horror of a child dying. See, and and that, so yeah. uh, so it, it's it's I'm almost certain if you read it now, and if you read it ten years from now, it gets scarier and scarier. Yeah, it's exactly. One of those that's the thing. Books. When you can actually put yourself in the perspective, like, okay, now I'm a parent, because the whole the whole premise, and again, this is total spoilers, so click like thirty seconds ahead because I'm about to ruin it for you. Um, but the whole premise of like, oh, my cat came back all fucked up. Now let me bury my kid there. It's like. 15-year-old me is like, just don't do it. Like, don't. Like, it's so obvious that this is going to backfire. Just don't. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. again, you get older and you understand because there's, there's all that whole pressure about, like, you know, his marriage and, and you know, he's, he's, he was told. I, I think there's even, like, a, a thing before it happens where it's, like, he comes off as looking like the uh, – like the not inconsiderate, but like the the incompetent parent doesn't know where his kid is or something. Mm. Like there's like a, there's like a scare before it actually happens where he looks like an idiot to his wife and to his family and to like all the important people in his life. So it's like it's almost like he almost has more to lose. No, but it's, so. it's also just even if you can't feel this now, which I don't think any of us can, but a a parent generally loves their child more than life itself, right? Yeah. So whatever might seem like a stupid action it's the only action because there's nothing else life is over right if you lose a child so um anyway yeah so that and the shining are both i'd say right up there Mm -hmm. um way way better than the shining film i know people love that film um fair enough but i just the book is so much better Mm. um but yeah it would probably be number one that's also it's somehow the perfect like coming of age novel. It's also the perfect life happens and you become an adult and things get rough kind of novel. Mm-hmm. And it's the perfect like horror of the unknown as well. So kind of Lovecraftian in that sense. Mm-hmm. It covers so much ground that way. Um, yeah, I, th- I think th- if there's one theme here, it's like I am a fan of the epic. Mm-hmm. Right, of the big. big fantasy and the big story that covers the largest swath of this makes sense. The human you condition as possible. You want those books that, that you know, you, they leave you with a hole, so you need a big book. If you took a little book, I don't think you'd enjoy it. <laughs> what is this? It's 17 pages and I'm done. No. You need to re-up. Um, I want to say that's it. Like, obviously, I can keep mm-hmm. finding other books, you know... Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I've stretched this long enough. And we've also, in just talking about favorite books, have not even mentioned what the difficulty in reading it, with reading is. Well, or this, with... Is, this is one of them, is that there's so fucking much to read. There's a ton of great, great literature out there. Actually, speaking on the literature front, I just want to ask you. So you didn't grow up in the standard North American school system. So what, like, what were the literature books that you were forced to read from school? 
forced but never really read properly was um i think there was some dickens in there mm-hmm. um and then there was oh i think maybe scarlet letter was somewhere there as well scarlet letter who's that uh, by nabokov no 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 the let me see scarlet nathaniel hawthorne i mean um, that person that british uh i couldn't even tell you i mm-hmm. Okay. I, I th- no, I think he mu- it's a U.S. author. I've never heard of him. That's an interesting one. Was it any good? I'm not positioned. <laughs> See, I like don't the, these, I, I know, like no joke. These are all books that I want to read now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm come trying to come back to a lot that I'm, you know. Interesting. The, I remember there was one amazing book called Feed. I think. Feed. Um. Okay. Yes. I'm just, rather than trying to sloppily explain it, mm-hmm. I'm just going to read the Wikipedia entry. So this came out recently. Like, the feed came out in 2002. Okay. And so when I studied it, it would have been just maybe a decade after, or less than a decade after it came out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and I think this is probably also when I switched to the American system. So mm-hmm. um, things were a bit different. But is a young, young adult dystopian novel of the cyberpunk subgenre. The novel focuses on issues such as corporate power, consumerism, information technology, data mining, and, and environmental decay, with a sometimes sardonic, sometimes somber tone. Oh, I mean, this is definitely not getting it across. Okay, here, here's <laughs> what's good. Takes place in a near future, near futuristic American culture, completely dominated by advertising and corporate exploitation, corresponding to the enormous popularity of internetworking brain implants. So it basically so basically whole, Neuralink in a couple of years. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's it's amazing because it's like it's the whole world conversing through their Neuralink chips, mm-hmm. and it's brilliant in how it conveys what society could be like. Of everything's an ad, everything is somehow uh, um, nothing can be genuine because everything's corporatized. Mm-hmm. It's it it was it's one of the few books that I mostly read <laughs> because it was it just blew my mind mm-hmm. that it was it's it's just a comp- in some ways it's even scarier than some of the more traditional um dystopian classics of the of the 20th century because it just it seems like it's almost right upon us like it could just mm-hmm. be a few wrong decisions away and um this is a good time to talk about our corporate sponsors for this episode uh i I take it (laughs) just kidding we don't have any but um oh actually then i should say the one other novel and again there's no need to stick with it because it's just some kind of obvious one but 1984 by by far is such a great book I would say easily slots in that top five space that's an interesting one because it actually ties back to the difficulty of reading is there's a couple books out there that I couldn't put down, yeah, and I hated every single word of them. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one that comes to mind. 1984. My God, did it make me like angrier than? I mean, I guess the the, the recurring theme is that books make me angry. Yeah. <laughs> but this one was like that. That's just one of the darkest, most just dark books I've ever read. And yeah, it was a very difficult one, especially like the third, the, the part three. The last three. third, yeah. Ooh, that's like. That never leaves you. 
No, the first third, okay, it's... They're, they're little bits of humor earlier on, right? Yeah. Because they're so ridiculous. The first third is like, it's, it's terrible, but you're like, okay, maybe. The second third, you think, oh my God, there's hope. And then the third part of the book is just like, just painful. And, and yeah, so that, that's one that's always stuck. Actually, I need to reread it now. I've read it like more than 10 years ago, and... Uh, Definitely a book for. I think that's one of the books that like everyone should read. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's funny because a lot of people relate that one to the other uh, dystopian novel of Aldous Huxley, Brave, Brave New, New World. World. Yeah. And uh, and a lot of people see it as like two potentially two potential extremes for the future, right? You either make um, you either control you either control everything by total control, or you control everything by like trivializing everything. Give you or sorry. It, Somebody said in, in, a, in a way that I thought was interesting was like, in, in 1984, people are completely controlled because everything is taken away from them and, mean, and they're, they're only given meaning by a very select few in society. Versus in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, it's the opposite. It's people are completely controlled by being given absolutely everything and therefore all meaning is trivialized. And so it's like... It's like the opposite. And I'm probably butchering that a little bit. I don't remember exactly what the commentary was. Mm -hmm. But it's very interesting to me how like, yeah, those two books talk about how like, because in both of them, they're, they're supposed to kind of, I mean, obviously 1984 is much more beat you over the head with how terrible a society could be if like one group of people decided to control everything from, you know, thought to language to every, to like the deepest levels. Yeah. Whereas like in Brave New World, it's kind of like, you know, you just, everyone's just allowed to get high all the time. <laughs> so everyone's kind of more chill because it's like, you know. You are where, and it's like the same thing. It's like you don't want to move up or down your class in in Brave New World because it's just like you you're 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 like the people are afraid to move up just as much as they're afraid to move down. Just interesting. Yeah, there there there's there's genetic predetermination yeah. in Brave New World, so people are they have to stay where they're at pretty much. Yeah. Um. I almost don't know where to go now because. I feel like what we've spent an hour just talking about books that. Listen, this is gonna be a long one. No, but yeah, yeah, it's like, do we want to now jump over to you, or do we want to take a brief moment to actually talk about some issues? Because right now it was just like, here's a therapy session of 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 or or here's a tour of books that matter to me. Which well, I mean, I think some of them were really cool. I like I like the stuff they talk about. Let's jump in. Let, let, let's talk about the uh, the the ever present issue of audiobooks versus regular books. Why do you listen to audiobooks, and why are you such a cheater? Um, <laughs> I would say so. I, I I for a lot of what I've discussed, I was not audiobooking. Mm -hmm. It's really in the last few years um, that I started. Mm -hmm. I th I, th I think maybe my first was. It might have been Pet Cemetery, actually. Mm -hmm. It might have been uh, The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Um, but anyway, I, I started there, and yeah, I was I was a bit nervous. I was a bit wary of it, um, and I think the the main concerns there are just like you're not gonna feel as as immersed, or you're you're gonna lose your attention, and then you've not got the full experience and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I think other people are worried that. Because there's a person reading it, like that's influencing how you take it in, right? It's it's not now your own mind. You're you're not 
interpreting interpreting the novel through your own lens it's already the lens is given via the uh the choices of when you the... listen to a fiction audiobook do they just do they just read it or do they actually have like voice actors it's just like one person reading the whole thing right occasionally you'll have a few people Ooh, that's interesting but generally it's one person but they'll just change their voice depending on the character okay oh they'll change um, their voice depending on the character yeah no the, the, you definitely have to be like a voice actor so interesting. Um, I've never listened to a fiction audiobook, and it's largely for what you said. I know that I will lose attention because I um, I listen to tons of nonfiction audiobooks. Yeah. And the reason why I think they're absolutely great for nonfiction is because I will realize that I've tuned out for a significant number of a level amount of time, and I was like, okay, well, I just rewind a little bit and listen to it again. Yeah. And it's like I end up listening, and every audiobook that I have that's like nonfiction, which is pretty much all of them, I don't have any fiction, um, I listen to multiple times because I know that one read-through, I'm not going to get it <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, in some ways, it is a skill that you have to develop, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to pretend it's like a perfect equivalent. And especially as somebody who wants to write, just seeing words is important to me. Yeah. Um, but in some ways, it was just a simple calculation. How many books am I going to get through reading versus having the ability to audiobook? Because then I can be just li- consuming books all the time. I'm in the gym and I can be listening. I can be walking around. I can be listening, right? So... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I think the, or the biggest difficulty with reading is just people feeling time constraints. Even if they're artificial, that's what people feel like. I just don't Mm -hmm. have time to read something. You have to sit down and stop and put all your attention towards. Um, so this, this is wipes that away. Now you don't have any excuse. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's for me, ultimately what's most important to me whether it's books or movies or comics, like I, I'm happy to consume it all. I mm. want to consume as many stories as possible. That's what I care about. Storytelling in all its many forms. Mm-hmm. And if at the end of my life, I would have ended up having consumed like a third or less than a third of the potential stories I could have because mm. I was just stuck on like I have to fit, read physical things. Um... For me, that's a lesser life lived. Um, and th- so that's, that's just my own calculus, right? I've mm-hmm. decided what matters to me. Um, even if somehow, and I don't think this is necessarily the case, but let's say an audiobook is only 85% of the experience mm-hmm. actually reading it is. Okay, I'll take many, many more 85% experiences than 100% experience that took months to get through rather than a f- week or whatever it might be. So... I've become huge on audiobooking. I'll still occasionally read, but like I still also feel like I've just read enough generally over the years, like you know all that fantasy and all that stuff before, yeah. um, and even some other things like Animal Farm in nineteen eighty four and stuff. I did read. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I know what good writing looks like and sounds like and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I still want to be consuming words to just keep my writing sharp as well. It helps, but. Generally, like I, I can be inspired and I can, I can, my writing can be improved by listening to good, mm-hmm. uh, good prose as well. Okay. So I, I, I just feel like while I've been audiobooking, 
I'm quite sure my writing's considerably improved. And if, if somehow I felt my writing was stagnating, then I'd be like, oh no, oh no, mm -hmm. no, this, this is, this is a huge problem. Like it's so, it's such an easy thing to do. And like, look, this is a negative, like it's easy and it's brain deadening or something, but, but mm -hmm. no, I, I, but I think that that is part of it, right? Like I'm really intently listening because I'm, I'm always viewing it from the point of view of like, why is, why is it sounding this way? Are these long sentences? Are these short? What sort of words are, is he using or is mm -hmm. she using or why? And I'm always thinking about pacing and all these kind of things because it's from like that writer's perspective. Yeah. And that kind of keeps me even more engaged than I, than I might otherwise be. Um, so the, I mean, that, that is, that's my case. I'm, I'm not going to pretend it replaces normal reading or anything like that. Just that's my case for why mm -hmm. it's worked for me and why I'm happy to uh, keep doing it pretty aggressively. No, it makes sense. I think, uh, I think if, I think, I feel like for me, it ends up being a, a loss of comprehension and, and, and just reading. It's, just, I just can't, if I'm reading and if I'm reading a story and you know, what I find is the other part too, it's like, especially when I read fiction, I'll reach parts of a story where I'm like, no, I am so not reading this slow and I'll just like skim ahead a little bit. Mm. Still get too much of like, ah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure this out quick. So, uh, yeah, and I definitely, um, I definitely would not be able to listen. Actually, maybe I You could I up the speed. You could just up the speed to whatever you wanted. I know. That's true. But it's not the same. Because then, I guess, yeah, that is true. I've never really given a fiction audiobook a try. I think I should, but. You know what you should do? Do it with a reread. Like, do Dune. Oh, man, that would be good. But I've, I've read Dune too, too, too shortly ago. I, I reread that for, the, for like the third time in my life just a little while ago. Right, So I right. can't do Dune. But yeah, maybe another one like that. Maybe, maybe I'll try to get through the fourth Dune book like that. <laughs> Finally get through that. Oh, man. Yeah, I need to, I need to start that one of these you, No days. one needs to start that. People I'm need not, to just accept that Dune ends on the third book. There is, no, no for, for, me, <laughs> for me, the second book is the perfect ending. And now the rest is just... Do you want to continue the adventure? Fine. Interesting. Actually, I remember feeling that way the first time I read Dune, but then once I knew that Children of Dune existed, I had to read it, and it was like, it's epic. I'm actually, from the start, I've been most curious about God Emperor Dune, so... Yeah. I, that's, that's where I intend to stop. I right? literally remember like when I was telling you about Dune and trying to convince you that God Emperor Dune is the worst Dune book, and yeah. you were just like, nope. You were completely unabated. It was not going to stop you. I need to read that one. I was like, ah. And I couldn't tell you about it back then because of spoilers. I'm like, okay. All right. I'll just wait for you to get there. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've taken a small break because, again, like I've now dove back into a fairly chunky fantasy series called um, Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn. Okay. Um it's i think it's one of those midway series between like what's real modern fantasy and traditional fantasy mm -hmm. uh which i think at least in part inspired uh a song of ice and fire okay so it's old um, it's it's an old book i'm guessing 80s let me see memory sorrow and thorn yeah 80s i believe actually actually right before game of thrones so it's that's what I, that's what i mean it's right pressing up against modern fantasy because i consider post 90s kind of what, mm -hmm. what and then it's it's still changed since then obviously 
Um, but just like that more mature, moving away from the traditional stuff, I think kind of post 90s. Mm -hmm. And this, the first book was in 88. And the last book, the third book was in 93. Okay. So yeah, it spans right in that, that, that genre or right that part of the genre where they move. This doesn't sound like a very difficult question for you because it sounds like you have a million things, but how do you find the books you actually like? How do you find what you want to read? Um, I think once you get comfortable enough in a space, like this, there's no finding required. It's the same thing where I'm at with movies. I never watch trailers. Mm -hmm. I never, I don't have to do research. I just... I know what directors are good. I know what festivals are good. In the same way, I'm not, funnily enough, because, you know, it's not like I want to be a director. I want to be a writer. But I feel like I'm, if anything, much more well-versed in the movie space. So it's not quite to that level. But still, with books, like, certainly the fantasy space. Mm -hmm. um, you just know the authors and, like, who's good? Yeah, I just know, I, I, I have literally dozens upon dozens of more fantasy books that I need to read. Mm -hmm. Like, that's putting it fairly conservatively, but that's at, the, at minimum. I have, like, a number of series. Like, I have read, read Joe Abercrombie. I've read yet to read um, Robin Hobb. I've yet to read, um, like, Sanderson's first major series, like the Mistborn series. I've read uh, or I've listened to... Um, is that the one that we started and I couldn't get through with the, the crab beasts and stuff? No, no, no. So that's... Stormlight is his... Stormlight, is, that's is, one, is yeah. ongoing one. But before that, what made him kind of famous initially was his uh, Mistborn series. So haven't done that. So anyway, so the point is like there's so many. And, and, and then with like... That's, I basically have two modes. It's like okay, occasionally I might do some more recent literary yeah, it sounds stuff. Like you don't, it sounds like you don't touch a lot of stuff that, that came out recently, like the one-offs from authors who like only write like one or two books kind of thing. No, so I, I, I think what I do is modern fantasy or modern-ish fantasy. Mm -hmm. So that is recent. Yeah. And then I do classic literature. There's yeah. nothing else. Occasionally I'll do stuff that kind of falls in between with some literature or sometimes I'll try sci-fi, but I'm mm -hmm. not actually a, the biggest sci-fi guy. I like Dune, but that's because Dune is its own kind of thing. Yeah, Dune is great. Um, and so... So the burning question is, have you read The Da Vinci Code? I have. And okay. I, actually, I, <laughs> I'm surprised. I thought you said no. <laughs> actually, that, that, that's one of the few exceptions where earlier in life I was only reading fantasy, but I did also... Again, this happened organically, funnily enough. I didn't pick up The Da Vinci Code. I picked up the first book, Angels, Angels and, and Demons. Demons. Okay. And I liked Angel and Demons way more. Really? Yeah. I read Da Vinci Code first and then Angels and Demons, and going back to Angels and Demons was like, eh. Actually, I got really sick of that whole, like, the mystery genre. I can't, yeah, mystery books are, so it's actually interesting. It's not exactly a mystery genre. Yeah, it's, not it's a mystery. more it's like, like a, a, a deciphering thriller kind of. Exactly, it's know. like that thriller mystery. It's, and it's actually kind of funny that you say that. One of, one, of the, um, one of the books that we talked about first, the Harry Potter series, Someone said, I think, and you might have brought this up too, but I don't know who somebody I read from somewhere that they talked about how the Harry Potter series isn't actually fantasy. It's a mystery series wrapped up in wizards and, yeah, and warlocks yeah. and all stuff. And I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, it really is a lot of, a lot of the, 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 and even though like this is part of why 
like there's huge massive gaping holes in Harry Potter if you look, yeah. like, logically if you look at it like oh the Marauders map always shows you everybody but none of the people that we need to not have on there because that would be you know whatever and you, like <laughs> you, you, what you come to realize with Harry Potter is that she might have had some r- rough idea where it was going and go- going to end but she approached each book as almost like starting a new world all over with just like the yeah. basic thing so it was like okay, in this world, I want to do this, or in this book, I want to do this, and then the next book, I want to do something that doesn't quite work within my world, but I'm not even thinking about yeah. that. And then uh, often retroactively, she'd then be like, okay, I need to lampshade this. I need to point out how I can get around this. So yeah. actually, there are now no more, uh, 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 what's the, the time turner, right? The time turner yeah. breaks everything. So yeah. suddenly it was like, in the fifth book, all the time turners get smashed. So it's one of those things where she would just seem to make it up as she went. Yeah. And then retroactively be like, oh no, I've made some mistakes and people have been asking about this. But yeah. it's in the title, right? What is the philosopher's stone in the first one? What's, what is and what's in the chambers of secret in the mm-hmm. second one? Who is a prisoner of Azkaban and what does he want in the third yeah. one? And it, on and on. And so it's, it's very... Um, it's it's all right there. Yeah, it's, it's it's a mystery, and I think that's part of it's part of what I was talking about. Part of the whole awe and whimsy and all that stuff is also like oh, exploring the castle because there's something in there and yeah. you have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. That's so that scratches such a deep itch in kids and yeah. still does for me now. I would I would love to go to treasure hunt and like you know explore. So I uh, think between that and the whole almost like it's almost like a childhood fantasy for any kid who's ever been upset with their parents of like. You're a wizard, Harry. You're not. You're. It's not your shitty life. There's another life that you don't know about. You're adopted. <laughs> it's almost like. And again, that's also one of the things for like. It's like that's like the 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 kid version of like a Deus Ex Machina for your life. It's like, oh, does your life suck? Listen. Yeah. You're adopted, and your real parents are wizards or billionaires or sci-fi. Like it's like I feel like that's a trope that's used a lot in in literature for for young adults and and kids. Yeah, yeah, the kind of rags to riches thing. You're secretly a prince. You're secretly yeah. nobility, um, and thus you're a fish out of water. Yet you're actually in some ways more important than all these snobs around you. Kind of yeah, thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, that's um, again, lots of these stories did not reinvent the the wheel. Yeah, they just um, did it in a in a in a nice way. They made a better mousetrap. Yeah, to to quote the dragons, then people. Okay, so. Just to touch upon this once more, because I think we've kind of just moved past it and it's not too big a deal, but mm-hmm. since we are trying to also sympathize with people who, you know, are having trouble fitting in reading, do you think there's something about, like, it being an issue of time, or do you think it's a matter of reduced attention spans that's come with modernity, or is it that people are just... It's an easy activity in your head to, or to make more of a more burdensome in your head compared to other activities because it's less passive. Like you actually have to sit down and read and to, to the exclusion of everything else, right? You can watch TV, but you can be eating and you can be chit-chatting, whereas book is book, you know? So yeah. is it that? Like what, what are the excuses? Are they fair, etc.? I, th- I think you nailed them all in the head. It's It's... It's it's not as passive as other types of uh, 
Actually, you know, you know what I think really kind of hurt books in a weird way? And this may or may not be right, but I think, I think when TV got good, books were put on notice. Because there's that whole thing, it's like, uh, and I don't know if this is ex- exactly accurate, but the... the um, but when has that stopped us before? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? So, yeah, exactly, right? Well, uh, so there's this... There, I, I'm trying to remember what the specifics are, but there was this whole thing where like uh, in Hollywood at some point, the writers for movies or something went on strike and a lot of them went to shows. Mm. There was a, there was a, and I might be getting this wrong. I, I feel like I've read it. When I used to read about like different, I used to read a lot about media from uh, AV Club and a couple other like online magazines talking about different shows. Cause I was, I was, there was a time when I was absolutely hooked on shows. I loved it. Um, and they mentioned how there was like a point where quote unquote TV got good and basically the kind of writing that used to be uh, reserved for movies mm-hmm. started to make its way more on television. Yeah. And, and you kind of you see it too in like, you know, there used to be a lot of series that wouldn't play, like TV used to not play around with serial, serialization as much, telling one story over a long season. It used to be a lot more of like, and, Epis- I mean. Episodic stuff. Exactly, episodic stuff. You see it a lot with like, you know, um, you know, shows like, uh, one of the ones that like started off the trend, I think, well, maybe not start off, but one of the ones that's like hailed as, as bringing it to kind of a younger audience was like Buffy the Vampire Slayer for doing the, the typical monster of the day tropes, mm-hmm. but also building to like a larger finale with a, with a bigger enemy and so that. Yeah. I think in some ways when shows started doing that, they started to give people what is missing in movies, but you get in books, which is a longer time with your, with your characters. You yeah. don't get you don't get fifty hours of, of screen time with your movie characters, but you can get fifty hours out of a book and you can get fifty hours out of, you know, eight seasons of a show. Yeah, I'd say the golden age of T V was kind of ushered in with the Sopranos. Yes. And then that transitioned to the wire mm-hmm. and then everything else followed. Yeah. Right. Then then yeah, it was some amazing shows like Breaking Bad comes out, becomes like a, a hit, takes over the the, 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 the airways. Yeah, because it's like when Sopranos was big, of course there's other good TV, but it was it was the king in the room, and The Wire I think was sort of similar. But then soon after it was a whole slate, right? Yeah. Concurrently, there's Breaking Bad and there's Mad Men, and oh, yeah, Mad Men. Oh. for the seasons where it was good, Lost, mm-hmm. um, and for the one season that it was good, Heroes, and mm-hmm. uh, you know so much more that I'm that I'm just blanking on at the moment, but. Yeah, of Dexter and House and like all these sort of shows. So, um, yeah, I, I think there were like a few dam breakers, like those first two, and then mm-hmm. it all kind of came. Whether that took away from reading, I think it's probably part of the cocktail. Well, yeah, so I, that didn't take away from reading. What took away from reading was when those shows were, well, first off, they got good and then they got on streaming platforms. Super accessible. Exactly. Yeah. Super. It became a thing where it's like, because again, What's the best part about a book? Look, you can go spend $17 and spend four hours, four to eight, ten hours with these people, right? On a relatively low investment for the entire Harry Potter series, you have like 50 plus hours of entertainment. Now you can pay even less to get Netflix and there's your 50 plus hours. Plus, like you said, you can eat, you can do all this other stuff while you do it and you can enjoy it with another person or people. The bonding aspect, yeah. Yeah, there's a bonding aspect. So... I definitely think there's we we've done a lot of stuff to push away from reading, and I think I I personally I love books. I hate e-readers and all this stuff, and I think like the draw to reading on your phone is kind of uh, it's mm. almost like a catch twenty two because like anytime I try to re- I have the Kindle app, and every time I try to read on my phone, 
it, it doesn't take long before I get like an, uh, a notification that distracts me, mm. right? Yeah. So I think there's there's a aspect of like, I, I mean, I don't know. I, th- I think it's going to be cyclical. I think we're going to move away from reading and then eventually we're going to get bored and we're going to go back to reading. Because like I've already felt I'm I'm so sick of streaming. I, I don't want to stream anything. I don't want to watch shows. That's already that happening much. though. And it's just because yeah. the oversa- there are too many streaming um, providers and people are trying to pull back. I think... Uh, just recently Netflix faced a small crisis because they were expecting continued growth and for the first time in forever they didn't get it and I think now they're (laughs) I think they're even being sued now by some of their uh, stakeholders because of that like it was yeah so it's this the pushback is finally coming on on the yeah, oversaturation and, and to be of streamers. Fair, I think yeah it's it's saturation right it's like people don't want to have Netflix and Disney and Hulu and uh, NBC when they come out with Peacock, well, that was not even available in Canada. Uh, what are the other ones? Par- well, the Paramount HBO one. HBO Plus. HBO Plus. Well, yeah, Crave. If you're in Canada, HBO. Although, yes, yeah, so there's there's a million different streaming services, and there's just so much stuff to watch. And I think the other thing too is that in in some ways it's like it's tougher to find something unique. And I feel like books kind. Of, I feel like people are gonna move the way move back to books more because you you look at it too. Like a lot of the best shows, series, and movies, they're ripped off of books. They just you know they take a story that people already the, love. No, they, vast majority of them are based on books. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you know, there's always that aspect. I think ultimately, when it comes to reading, it's gonna be, it's the tougher medium right now because of just ease of access. And so, yeah, like I think people really have to want to read, and I hope that there are that we can recommend some books for people that will make them want to read because I think there's. Like, I've had some powerful experiences watching shows where I'm like, wow, that show really spoke to me. Or, wow, that was a movie that really spoke to me. But, damn, are books epic. There's just, you just get to spend so much more time with the characters. You get to, and I think the other thing too is... Okay, yeah, so just just to stop you for a second, this is going to be something I brought up a little later, but I think it fits in better now. Mm Mm-hmm. Why books as opposed to movies, as opposed to series, as opposed to any other storytelling medium? What's uniquely, what uniquely makes the book the book? I mean, I think it comes down to two things. First off, you can get a much better insight into the character when you when they're not they're not always, but when they're being told from first person, or even when the book just tells you a little bit about like how the character's feeling, what the character's thinking, like what they're. I think there's some, and I know movies have done this too. Like you can do it in a movie where you have like the voiceover of what the person's thinking and, and like, yeah. you know, Forrest Gump when Tom Hanks is narrating it and he kind of tells you like, you know, what I was thinking about Lieutenant Sarge or whatever, Lieutenant To a Dan. point, then it gets intrusive. Yeah, exactly. And there's a limited amount that you can do. Whereas, you know, people can have entire monologues in their head in a book and you, you if done well, it doesn't miss a beat. That was why people thought Dune was impossible to make. Right. Oh, because yeah. So much of it is just head hopping. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I'm so surprised that you think that it's like there's so much action in that movie. Like, what the hell? Why would you ever? But I mean, I could see how some people, especially because there are some parts that are very. I think we've talked again. Major spoilers. So I'm sorry if you watched the movie or whatever, or haven't read the book. Um, click forward like two minutes. But there's that whole part where in the book I didn't realize, I didn't realize how abrupt this was. But in the book, there's that one where it's like. Paul and his mother escape and spend the night in the tent. And then it's like immediately three pages later, oh, I'm the Messiah. Oh, mom, yeah. I just remembered I'm the Messiah. I'm the Jesus of this world. <laughs> you know what I mean? It happens like like that. 
but it also happens in a, like in the book you kind of understand because he goes on this like mind journey but it's so abrupt that it's like this is gonna be very difficult to do in a movie yeah and um you know and, and it's also kind of presented as like a historical text in some ways so mm-hmm. things that need to be kind of a point of tension in the film or just you already know it's going to happen in the book mm-hmm. sort of because they've alluded to it via like this their historical uh, 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 excerpts mm-hmm. before the chapters yeah and you know there's a lot of stuff where the a scene is only interesting because you know they're eating dinner it's not interesting in terms of visually what's interesting is what's going on in their heads and their scheming and counter mm-hmm. scheming and stuff yeah. so that's why I'm saying to get like the spirit of dune not just visually show everything but to get yeah. spirit of it the politics and intrigue it's very very difficult yeah yeah i think that's that's one of the big things i think that the, the closer you get closer to characters i think the other thing too is there's something to be said for visualizing it in your head um i know it's gonna sound so i've actually never watched the enders game movie mm. and i think i want to die never having watched it <laughs> i saw some of the trailers and the the, the book is so it's one of my favorite books. I love it. And it's so, uh, I, I, I just have these visions of what it would look like. And I can't help but feel like you just couldn't do it justice. Even with crazy CGI, even with whatever. It's just like, I feel like it's always going to be more real in my head than anything that you show me. And I think that is the big risk. I mean, even with Dune, you know, I'm a hu- I love Dune. It's, I, I'm a huge fan of the series. I got started playing the video games. So I actually, I kind of cheated in that fact that you know, before I read Dune, I'd played a video game. So I kind of mm-hmm. had this feeling of like, what does Arrakis look like? What are the deserts like? What are, what are some of the vehicles look like? And things like that. Yeah. And interestingly enough, they didn't really... The movie, I was concerned. And while, yeah, some things I think they did... Mostly I was very pleased with the movie. And I think they did a really good job. But there was that concern walking into the movie like, oh man, are they going to butcher this? Am I yeah. going to hate... And to be fair, I saw the trailer and I'm like, no, no, no. They, they did a good job. But uh, but there's definitely that feeling of like, you know, there's this lore that's been built up, you or, or you built it up in your head, and then you have to worry about like, are they gonna do it justice? Yeah. Well, um, th- another part of that actually is just control by the creator. Mm-hmm. There's no other, or arguably, there's no other storytelling form where you get such control over what you can do. Yeah. Because. With films, it's the limits of effects, the limits of budget, the limits of, you know, other stakeholders in the process. These days, yeah, the limits and, of, like, are you checking all the boxes for the different audiences and things like that? Like, I don't, but I mean, I, I don't even mean that, right? Like, so it, it could be, you know, a non-studio film, that's, but then without sufficient financing, can you just shoot any anything and make it look realistic right if you're telling a story yeah. that is not as genre or sci-fi or fantasy mm-hmm. or even literary things can have supernatural elements in them yeah this, this all requires money it requires effects it requires not you can't just be a director and do it yourself you need yeah. other people that's what i yeah. mean it's not just you and even with a comic book often it's one guy writing and one guy drawing and if it's just you then you're still have some limit with what you can draw, right? You might be an amazing artist and you can draw most things really well and that's spectacular. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I love comics. I love manga even more than comics. Uh, though you could just argue one is just a Japanese version of a comic. Anyway, 
Um, but even there, through writing, you can just do anything because it's just describing things. Yeah. And so the greatest amount of control possible is with the writer. They're literally, their only limitation is their imagination. I think that's, that's puts it ahead of any other storytelling medium in terms of what it can present. Yes, what you talked about, like the closeness, the intimacy is probably the closest it can get. Um, and then just the wonder of language, right? Like it is the most language-driven form of storytelling as well mm -hmm. because with film, it's mostly a visual and auditory medium. With comics, you've got a combination, combination, but then typically the language is fairly basic. Whereas this is where you can get like the greatest exposure to just words and the construction of sentences and what clever syntax looks like and what, you know, really like see the, the full flexing of the language in which you're reading. And, and so I think there's something to that as well. I, I will say one thing, uh, two, two interesting things is first off, I think one of the biggest limitations for books, and this is my personal opinion, is I've never enjoyed a, a comedy book, a book that was meant to be funny. Mm, I've always yeah. found them to be so inferior to actually like to, to, to any other media form for comedy. That's even comics, even funny comics are can be yeah, no, comics have made me laugh. Comic, comics yeah. can be hilarious, but books are just the, the, like the memories that I have of laughing my, like laughing out loud hysterically from books were never books that were meant to be funny. It was always books where like some part of the book got too real and I could just envision the scene. And I'm just like, wow, this is, it's so perfect for a character to be behaving like this. And that would make me laugh. But like, like I, I think one of the one of the books that I always think of is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, it was written to be this absurd and funny thing, and it's just like, to me as a book, it was it was enjoyable, but it also fell so flat. And it, I think even the movie wasn't that great. But it's like the whole book. I remember there, there's the the funniest part of the book is a complete random off shot where I think he's describing somebody says a word. And then he says, and that word just traveled through a temporal time hole where it's like on this battlefield between these two guys and it actually means like screw your mother in this language and then mm. they fight or something like that. It was something, it was completely random offshot where I'm like, okay, this is funny, but comedy has always fell flat for me in books. Yeah. Um, and the other interesting limitation for the other side is, and this is something we talked about uh, before with Pet Cemetery actually, is, you know, the limitation in, in humans. So actor-wise, Pet Cemetery, uh, they actually... They, I mean, again, spoilers, I'm sorry. Uh, there's a movie out, and in the movie, they change which child, you know, gets killed because you can't have an infant do these things. You, they, yeah. the, 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 you can't have a zombie infant and make it like, you know what I mean? It's just, there, there's a limitation there. So they chose to, you know, up age the child, right? And, and change so, it to the daughter. I think. Yeah, exactly, because yeah. Yeah, yeah, she was the older one. And so... There's all this stuff about how, like, you know, these are the limits. And this is also one of the things with Ender's Game. Ender's Game is set in a world where, you know, you have superhuman, um, like, Andrew Wiggin, Ender, is, uh, he's supposed to be, like, eight years old or nine years old or something. He's, like, a, yeah. super, he's like a super genius child partisan program where these kids are, like, ridiculously smart. And so... You know, you how are you gonna have a child play that role? It's gonna be very difficult. And even in Dune, we're gonna see this because again, spoilers yeah. alert. The third book is called Children of Dune, so it's not really a big spoiler. But there will be children involved that will have to um, not necessarily be kids. Obviously, they're gonna be you know they're gonna be important people in this in the story, and they're gonna have to give off 
the affect of adults sometimes. And it's like, how are you going to do that? Are you just going to age them up? Is it going to be the teenage version so we can put 21-year-old actors in there and pretend to be 14? You know what I mean? So there's actually these big limitations. And I mean, that's kind of like a very specific one because not every book has a kid that's going to be so much smarter. But it just really goes to show you how... Uh, you know, there, there's, 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 there's all these weird limitations that you just don't have in books. Yeah. Just yeah. don't do comedy. <laughs> yeah, because horror definitely works for me in book form. Mm-hmm. You can, an idea can be planted in your head that you find just so horrific and will stay yeah. with you. Terrifying. But you can't really, something can't really be implanted that I just can come back to and laugh at. Like you said, to, not, I, I, I wouldn't say it was the same, same in the sense of like, I don't, see like oh this situation is so serious or so tense that i need to laugh but it's more this book isn't a comedy and then it just drops a line that happens Mm -hmm. to be yeah so funny that it's like oh i wasn't expecting it at all and so i'm laughing but yeah just straight comedy i that's that's one scene that absolutely comes to mind every time i think of a funny book or one that i remember having to put this book down for the books i was laughing like full-blown belly laughs for quite some time um, it's one, another one of my favorites called Shantaram, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's a very interesting book. It's supposed to be a semi-true account of this Australian guy who, I think in the 80s, he had drug problems and he was a criminal, and he got put in Australian jail, mm-hmm. and he escaped, and he actually did escape. This is like a real, like this, these part, like the first few parts of the story are actually fully real. He's, he's a documented inmate. He escaped, and he ran away to India. And so the book then, Shantaram follows his, Life in India, and how he changes, and he becomes a completely different person. I don't want to give it away. It's actually an, an amazing novel. I recommend it highly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this one scene. So he meets this uh, this this cab driver on one of his first times. I think the guy's name is Prabhakar, and or Prabhakar. I don't know how to pronounce properly. And throughout the story, Prabhakar plays almost like a sidekick to him. But he's like the most wholesome, good dude, and he's like very like very like classically Indian, but. Even though you almost feel like he's playing a stereotype, he's also so real and so nice and so kind. Mm-hmm. And there's just one offhand scene where um, I guess uh, they're taking the main character, Lin. He's being taken to uh, a prostitute, I think. And like they knock at the door and he describes this woman that comes out. And like he describes her as just like everything that you would not want in the West. And it's just like this mm-hmm. whole scene is like how she's like, significantly older than you would have expected and she's like she's like grabbing like fleshy parts of her belly and like shaking them for for lynn to be like "Ooh, ah you like and like this whole scene is written where it's like you can tell that the main character is very much like repulsed by this woman and he's not feeling sexual attraction at all and then the the very the scene just ends with like him like looking over and i forget how he describes it but he's just like describes how like his Prabhakar is like sitting there sweating and like trying to hold in his like furious <laughs> like, like like attraction to this woman. Yeah. And it was so and it just like it was just so perfectly just thrown in there. I had to put the like again, it was just such a perfect scene and it, and it like it's so encapsulated the the thing that he was experiencing. Like, you know, this guy was I think that was like I think this actually happened in like the early, early nineties or late eighties. Mm-hmm. So you have to imagine like someone from the Western world coming to India back then. And I mean, you also have to remember that back then, I mean India's grown so much and it's changed so much, you know, uh demographically and and and, and economically. But back then it was probably a lot more, 
you know, a lot less advanced. And so it's like, there's just something so wholesome about this like village kid who's like, oh my God, oh, oh he's going crazy while this guy does it. And so that's like one, that's one comedic scene that sticks with me to this day. Yeah. Um, that absolutely made me like just split my sides laughing. But it was, but this is not a funny book. This right. is a very serious book. There's actually, this book goes deep in some very dark parts of the world and some sad parts and it really talks about like, you know, the difficulty with this guy. He's not a good person. He's, he's a criminal. He ran away and he's trying to kind of get his redemption and all this stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, it's yeah. It's like the comedy it's, creeps up on you and then it yeah, hits. Yeah. It's when you don't expect it. When the comedy just out of the blue, you're like, wow, this was, uh, and like, that's what I mean. Like the scene felt so real. I could, I could, it's like, I could imagine myself being there and this poor guy being just like, <laughs> so that's like, yeah, there's uh there's moments like that. But yeah, I definitely think that, that the written form succeeds in so many things, maybe not in comedy. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, comedy is actually just tough generally because even if I think of film, for me, most comedy pre, really 2000s and beyond, it doesn't really hit for me. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not even me thinking 2000s comedies like, somehow like sophisticated no it's it's like lowest brow comedy it's just mm-hmm. lowest brow comedy in the 2000s and beyond um seem to do it for me in particular or i would say you know late 90s too yeah. you know but but roughly like if, if if i see an 80s comedy i find it to be just terrible and then the further back you go occasionally something will break through but then often it's like an appreciation of it more than i'm actually laughing mm-hmm. like you know dr strange love I laughed a bit, mm-hmm. but a lot of it was just like, this is brilliant. I'm, I'm smiling. Yeah. Um, and there are a few other like old school comedies like that. But, you know, back in the day, there was a screwball comedy, which doesn't really exist anymore. That just completely is wide of the mark for me 90% of the time. And uh, just, just, yeah, it's, it's comedy ages poorly and it's just very hard to do in many mediums. Um, surprisingly... In um, in comic book form, I think it can be pretty solid. Well, comic book form, it's amazing. Because um, comic book form leaves so much up to your imagination in some ways. And it, I think the big thing, too, is like when you're writing in a book, you have to describe the scene, the tone, and then the words that kind of make it funny. Whereas a comic book can set all that stuff up and just give you the, the words spoken. And you only have to hear the words spoken in your head for mm-hmm. it to be funny. It's also then you get a corresponding image, so it can, it, you know, it's great for the gag, right? Yeah. It can be one-two punch really easily. Exactly, yeah. In yeah. a way that almost nothing else can be. Um, Actually, just one thing, for the screwball comedies, uh, so you're talking about, like, Charlie Chaplin and, then like, the Three Stooges kind of thing, right? Um, or are you talking something else? Because I was going to say that that version of Slapstick, I feel like, still exists. It just It's, like, in the modern form of things like Mr. Bean. Even though he's pretty old now too, but he had some amazing, and I feel like I feel like interestingly enough, I feel like some of the slapstick stuff is what ages best in some ways. Like some classic Mr. Bean episodes are just beyond. Like I'll still laugh. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't say Chaplin. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm thinking of like. Um. Let me see here even. Okay, I'm on... I'm just going to name out ones that I've at least watched and then I can go off that. Mm-hmm. Um, it Happened One Night. That's Frank Capra. That was actually 
I okay. Seen that. I don't know that one. The um, my man Godfrey, um, bringing up baby. I just hated bringing up baby, even though that's meant to be one of the great comedies of. I haven't seen of any. the thirties. Some of these. Um, His Girl Friday, the Philadelphia Story, the Lady Eve. Can't run any of these. Um, <laughs> no, these, I, 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 I wouldn't expect most people to. It's these mm. are films that came out in the thirties. Okay. So um, and and early forties. So, the these are what I consider to be like the kind of great screwball comedies and. Mm. Yeah, maybe like one in, in, in five, I might think, is decent to good. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's just a very specific kind of like weird, kooky comedy. It's a bit over the top for me. It's a bit too silly. Everything's a bit too frivolous. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, but the point is, even post the screwball, screwball comedy era, you know, like I said, 80s comedies don't really work for me either. Oh, yeah. Well, because I think the 80s was just a trash part for media. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was a goofy decade. It was super goofy. It was something was... There was a real... It really headed south post... Uh, post that kind of golden Hollywood run of late 60s to late 70s. And then the 80s come and they're just silly, silly films. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, what else do we have to say... In this incredibly bloated and meandering podcast, I really feel I have to say this. I mean, this podcast is already mostly <laughs> being recorded, but I think the way we should have done it, in hindsight, and maybe this is if we ever return to this topic, I will do it. I think we needed it like an accessible first half hour to an R. We did. Where we that. no, because it should have been like what is actually the problem with reading and the time and. And some of the discussion actually we've been having now, mm-hmm. you know, that, that should have been front-loaded in terms of actually just non-specific, what are the issues with reading? Because otherwise we did like an R and R20 of let's just talk about random books that we like and then intermittently jump into spoilers. It's so inaccessible to 90% of people. <laughs> I hope there are some, you know... Harry Potter and Game of Thrones and Dune fans who... Well, I mean, I don't think that's inaccessible. We just hit, like, three of the biggest franchises. Well, two of the biggest franchises. So I feel like it's pretty... Um, yeah, I don't know. I disagree. I think it was I, great. I just, we'll I, I just feel like people are... I, okay, actually, we can just go into this topic a little bit. Um, the danger of getting stuck with comfort or niche reading... Um, and, you know, I can speak for myself because I was just reading purely fantasy for most of my life. Mm-hmm. And fantasy remains like that first love, that thing that really makes me, connects me with reading and writing and stuff. But so many of now my favorite books are literary books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I deprived myself of that for so long. And I it also narrowed, it probably stagnated my writing in many ways for a long time it you know na- narrowed my what the you know the possibility of what storytelling can be because you're not l- l- reading literally the best stories ever told right it's all mm-hmm. literature is what's has set the standard now you might say you know fantasy and sci-fi have grown so much since then and they can now hold their own and you know i'm fine i'm willing i'm happy to hear that argument 
if anything, that makes me happy because I, you know, I love fantasy. But, you know, writing was built on these literary greats, right? It's on Dostoevsky, it's on Charles Dickens. It's, we can go further back, obviously, to like real foundational texts, but I mean like what right now, if you think of like the real great works. And, and I was depriving myself of that. And, and I just had a much poor experience reading as a result. And, and, and even it, it limited me in the possibility of what reading can do for you as a result, right? Because these real like foundational stories change your way of looking at the world. They change your way of like seeing the whole medium because you realize you, you start making connections over the, 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 the decades, right? That that's, um, I've experienced this more with film just because I've, I think, got a better understanding of the full landscape of film, also because it's been around for a much shorter period of time. But it's like, I'll now see a movie and I'll be like, oh, it was inspired by this, which was inspired by that, which is like, I can just draw like a line of inspirations mm-hmm. and jumps and uh, all these interconnecting and interwoven thoughts and tropes and stuff and... Uh, uh, that might have started in 1930 and then gone out of fashion and come back in the 80s and whatever. It's just, it's, you have a much richer experience with art when you can see all these giants wrestling with each other over the, over the generations. It makes it like this greater work, even though it's not a greater work, but you know what I mean? It's a greater effort in the way of pushing forward, uh, the medium of film, or in this case, the medium of, of, um, of the written word mm-hmm. and and uh yeah i i just get the sense that i see with certain fandoms of oh i found my young adult like few books and i'll keep reading them and rereading them and maybe i'll find a few other young adult books and i think this is peak writing and then if somebody comes and has a criticism of it like you have an aneurysm and and you just think like this is the richest experience possible right and it uh, you know, it often happens with just certain fandoms where um, they'll make really, really strong claims with minimal exposure to actual literature or actual, like, variety within reading or anything like that. But it's just, like, this is my flag and I'm planting it in. It's just, like, um, and it's in every genre. Like, in fantasy, I notice a lot with Sanderson fans where this like, this is the greatest thing in fantasy ever and and you know you're a fool if you think otherwise mm-hmm. and and it's it and it's almost always then you it's almost like a telltale sign of like not being well read that's the weird funny thing of it and again it's not like this is not me shaming people Sanderson is shit huh? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good but um i i what i'm i guess what i'm trying to say is it's, it's this is not shaming people for not having read this is obviously a podcast where we're encouraging reading and it's not about saying like, oh, you know, you you read a lesser form of whatever because it's young adulters. No, like love what you love. I, I mean, I've I've been open about like r- liking some fancy stories along the way, which weren't necessarily great great writing, but um, it's that you should at least not like again lean into your ignorance in some way, right? Yeah. Of, of like, I can say. I can completely, without reserve, say Harry Potter has given me more than anything else, right? Like possibly just anything else because it's so foundational. I'm growing Mm -hmm. up with it. It's being read to me. Then I'm reading it myself. 
then I'm watching the, like it's everything, it's, 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 it's the foundations of my life. What if somebody's like, you know, she uses too many adverbs, she uses, uh, she, 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 um, she came up with a very broken world in terms of her world building. A lot of her characters actually act really immorally and they're portrayed as heroes. Like you get any number of things and I'd be like, yeah, no, I get you. Right? Like that's all I'm talking about. It's mm -hmm. not about snobbery. It's just about you don't want to face the world as if like your whatever your personal love is, is somehow what you love doesn't have to be the best basically. Right. Yeah. No, I see where you're coming from. I, th I actually think it's more of like a problem for the fandom podcast because I feel like that's like. Sp I, I I think yeah, people need you need to have some breadth in your reading, just like you need to have breadth in anything, right? You need to you need to be open to trying some different genres. But I also do think that you know once you find what you like, just you know there's nothing wrong with finding stuff like it. I think. Uh, because I've been open to reading some books and I picked them up and I got like a couple pages deep. Maybe not a couple, like 30 pages deep. And I'd be like, nope, goodbye. So boring. I'm not going to do it. No, I, I think that's completely fine. And like I said, I still, you know, return to fantasy uh, every so often, just as I have recently. Um, because that is kind of my first love and it's like something a bit more comforting to me. I, I guess it even goes back to what I was talking about in the film podcast. Because I think this is my approach with film generally, uh, no, not film, uh, art generally, and maybe life generally, is that the easy things are often not better for you. Mm -hmm. um, challenge yourself with what you watch. Challenge yourself with what you read. You know, hell, I'll do it with food too. Try to eat as broadly as possible. Don't just keep eat eating the same. as much as you can. That too. At once. <laughs> no. uh, no, Chick-fil-A sandwiches next time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we just say Chick-fil-A before this podcast, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, as far as we know, this life is it, why make it a narrow experience when you can experience the greatest breadth and depth of art and experience and culture and whatever else, right? Travel a bunch, meet a bunch of different people expose yourself to as you know as wide and politically diverse uh forms of media as possible just all of it right take it all in and and you know along the way you're gonna get better at being able to discard some things because some things are just not going to be for you that's obviously completely fine but at least give yourself that exposure before you decide to crawl back into your comfortable place mm -hmm. um so that's all i'm saying with reading too some of some of the stuff that i've um consumed these past few years has been immensely challenging and some of it by the end was not rewarding I didn't need to you know I didn't need to have watched that film or listened to that 30 hour slog of a book mm -hmm. um, but sometimes it was groundbreaking you know so the best thing ever sometimes so you, you you have to give yourself that opportunity to enrich yourself that's all um but yeah, um, this, this podcast has been a fairly chunky one. Is there anything else you want to leave people with? Any, actually, on you your end, on your end, yeah. 
go go through some of your some oh of your God. your loves over the <laughs> it's over the years. get a lot longer <laughs> what are we at right now we're at like two hours um i'll just i'll just give you a, a quick a couple ones that i think are absolutely amazing okay um again like i said shantaram i love that book such an amazing read i don't even know what genre it falls into it's like half true story half potentially made up it's like a in some ways like a classic hero's journey but not it, it deviates from the norm mm-hmm. um i think when i think of favorite books one that comes to mind is uh zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance okay that is a difficult read and it's a difficult read because there's a storyline that's happening that's absolutely worth all of your attention however it's interspersed with these long philosophical diatribes about all kinds of stuff and sometimes the philosophy is so sick and fun where i remember like highlighting entire chapters of the books it was so cool and sometimes it's so boring and just diving into weird metaphysical and, and epistemological stuff and you're just like I'm reading a fiction book not non-fiction but I'm not going to give anything away mm-hmm. but I will say that the final couple of pages yeah blew my mind and it's it's the most bittersweet story I've ever heard of and he has a sequel to it which I haven't read yet I think it's called Leela mm-hmm. Robert M. Persig um yeah dude that was that's just one of the, it's, it's a story about a father and a son and they're going on a, on a road trip through the, uh, I want to say the Midwest or somewhere in, in the United States on a motorcycle and uh, just an absolutely beautiful book. So worth the read. It, 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 was some, it took me so long to get to the end of it, but when I got there, I was like, this is the kind of payoff that you want when you go through this much. So I think that's one that comes up. I'm also a huge fan of Paolo Coelho, not for The Alchemist. I think that's one of his worst books. Yeah, I was not a fan of that. But uh, he had another one. Um, I love his magical realism where like, he just mm-hmm. he convinces you that he's fought evil spirits and done all this crazy <laughs> stuff. And it's like, you know what? Those make for some pretty good books. So I think it's uh, The Pilgrimage, which is ironic because that's actually The Pilgrimage is about a real-life pilgrimage that he took. And I would love to walk that. It's, uh, I think it's... Um, San Campostela or something like that, the road of San Campostela or something like that. It's a saint's walk in Spain that takes like 30 days, I think, to complete. And he was doing it and he went through all kinds of weird adventures. And then uh, another book that really, again, this is when I was kind of younger, but this was like, and this is almost a trope now, I feel. This trope has been done over and over again, but the book's called Veronica Decides to Die. Mm-hmm. And I think this has been done all over the place. Um, I don't really want to give it away. But it's a very short read, but it was absolutely, uh, it's just a fantastic little book about, uh, about like, you know, what does it mean to live and, and what's, is life worth living? And, and mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's an absolutely great book. And then also I, I love nonfiction. I've read a lot of nonfiction. And I think one, one that really comes to mind, uh, kind of related to uh, Veronica's Eyes to Die, is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That book is tough, man. When you read about what it was actually like in 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 during the Holocaust and the camps and the stuff that Viktor Frankl had to endure, and like just like some of the dark, like some of the darkest things I've ever read were in that book. Like you can't you can't do fiction like you can do this. And it was just mm-hmm. like one that always stuck with me was he talked about how in the Nazi concentration camps, um, when he saw one of his because he was he was a Jew and he was put in there. When he saw one of his fellow, you know, fellow Jews, 
uh, crying or, or upset or wailing or something. It was almost like he said it wasn't as bad as when you saw them just like not want to get out of bed mm. or when you just saw them completely apathetic. And he's like, that was, that was almost worse because it doesn't matter what emotion people are showing, you know that they're still fighting for something. And then sometimes you would just, you said like there'd be mornings where somebody just wouldn't get out of bed and it's like they're trying to tell them like, come on, you got to do this. There's a chance we'll survive. Because they know that if, if they don't get up and go to the work, because these are slave camps, yeah. they don't go get up and do the work, you're, you're done. Yeah. And so it's just like... And then, and then the other part of it that really... Again, this is, this is maybe controversial, but another part of it he talked about that was just so deep and, and real, like real to, to what happens is, you know, a lot of people forget the fact that if you went through that, you went through some serious fucking trauma. That's not easy to go through. And he, he talks about how, you know, the difficulty of going back to real life after the Holocaust, you mm -hmm. know, not just the fact that like, yeah, you, m people were separated from their families. Like even people, like even if you were separated from your family and you got like the best possible outcome, which was like you guys reunited, it wasn't like, oh, hugs and kisses and everything's fine. It's like you guys went through some really terrible stuff and it really plays on the psyche. So I think that book is just, it, it's, it has a lot more positive outlook because he talks he talks about his own psychological theory of, of logo of logos logotherapy or something but basically the, the concept that through meaning man can endure anything mm -hmm. but man does he take you through some dark spots and man does it like it that was a book in some parts of that book it was probably just as hard to read as 1984 damn i would definitely recommend that one and then uh and then yeah i just think those are those are the ones that i would i would say really like have had huge impacts on me I'm sure there's a bunch more. I love sci-fi, so Dune I love. I love the, the Ender's Game series, although I never finished it because it got too stupid by the end. Um, but yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of great books. And I've probably missed like hundreds of books. Not maybe not hundreds, I haven't read that many, but like I've definitely missed a dozen or so books that are amazing. But mm -hmm. those are ones that I think are, are, are top-notch. And again, I would say universally, like you should watch. You should read those. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even as this podcast unfolded, I've thought of like, oh, I should have mentioned that, 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 but it's <laughs> like... 16 others, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just... Uh, Maybe we can have another one where we just chat about the books. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 th I think this just goes to show that like our life's um, difficult series, I think it can work for just about anything, but in some sometimes our conversations are more than just the life's difficult little section of, of, yeah. of what we're discussing and, 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 you know, can possibly have offshoots where they're just other standalone podcasts where just like, we want to discuss books right now or yeah. we just want to end if you guys want to listen in, great. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think maybe something like that with books of just like down the line uh where, where you know maybe we we just uh each come up with a list of 20 books of our here are our 20 must reads and then explain why or whatever Sorry. whatever yeah. and 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 um something like that so we're not limited by our you know the the, the heading of this yeah. has to just be something that is challenging in modernity because you know reading is and and but but yeah there's other aspects of reading that are, aren't necessarily difficult that we still want to share with everybody. No, hundred percent. But yeah. Okay. We've come basically to the end of our chunkiest pod so far. Mm -hmm. um, any little final takeaways? I, I basically think my takeaways were 
I think we're there. I think, already, I think we can wrap so, yeah. this one up. All right, perfect. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for this episode of Life's Difficult. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you give us a positive review or rating, a like, a comment, a subscription, anything like that. And let anybody else know about this podcast that you think might like it. Take care and we'll see you next week for another episode of Life's Difficult.